Hello there, it's me, Melissa. Welcome back to the This Human Life podcast, the companion podcast to the book This Human, where I uh, spend some time with you reading through the book cover to cover with some uh, enriching stories <laughs> from my experience. Um, Hopefully bring some of the content to life, kind of like the uh, the author's notes, the author's cut. Um, we are starting today from page 20 uh, with the quote that's on page 20. Um, yeah, let's get into it. So the quote is, The intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift by the very famous Albert Einstein. Sense-making. We often rely too heavily on our brains to make sense of our work. This may seem like an odd thing to say. What else am I going to use? My elbow? That's actually in the text. Um, But there is a lot to be said about how we make sense of our environments and a good chunk of it isn't processed consciously. There are many skills you need to develop as you become a masterful practitioner in human-centered design. One of them is knowing how to use your body to help make sense of what you are observing or help you create something meaningful. You can leverage your subconscious in ways that your conscious mind can use. Value your intuition. I have a saying that my colleagues often hear. Perhaps you need to meditate with the post-its. What I mean is sometimes you can't push through to insight intellectually. You need to step away from your work and sit in silence and solitude for a while before your thoughts begin to crystallize and make sense to you. This gives your intuition a shot at being heard. Um, It might not necessarily be sitting in silence for you, but what I'm trying to get at here is that... uh, You know, we are often trying to think through really complex patterns and sometimes we need to enlist other forms of intelligence to be able to help us make sense of that. You know, it's a commonly held, I don't know if it's a belief, but perhaps an understanding that if you're trying to solve a problem, it's really good to sleep on it because your subconscious will sort of keep ticking away on it in the background and then in the morning you might have a little bit more clarity around your situation. The same is true for the work that we do as human-centered designers and also as leaders. So take giving yourself the opportunity to step away and go for a walk or do something else, change context, can be really a very useful um, and efficient use of time. Actually, often we think by sitting at the desk and continuing to force our way through uh, using our minds that that's the best use of time and it's not often the case. But walking away from work can feel like a scary waste of time. (laughs) It's so funny, it keeps happening. But walking away from work can feel like a scary waste of time, especially when you need to deliver. I remember working with an industrial designer early in my career, now an old friend. When he was under pressure and a deadline was looming, I would often see him at his desk making model cars out of paper. If this was relevant to what we were delivering in three hours, I wouldn't have had cause for concern though it often wasn't. 
He was doing something completely unrelated to the project or the task at hand, in a completely unrelated medium. He was using his hands instead of his brain. He understood the power of allowing other parts of his body to do the thinking, rather than relying on his conscious brain to do all the heavy lifting. And when he did that, the work he produced was inspirational. As you collect information, conduct research and travel through life, you're supplying your senses with information whether you are consciously aware of it or not. Your brain doesn't consciously note everything you perceive. It is not the only mechanism you have available for sense-making. You have an entire body that helps you with this task. Most inputs are not raised to the level of your attention at all, but they are processed regardless. These subconscious processes are the feedback system that informs your intuition. I'll say that again. These subconscious processes are the feedback system that informs your intuition. So in, at the risk of interjecting when I'm about to say exactly the same thing in the text, but um, if you think about, the, this is just a bit of, you know, from a neuroscience viewpoint, if you think about all of the things, all of the thinking that we're aware that we're doing, usually that's the critical thinking and usually that exists in the neocortex and it's usually at the front of your brain on both left and right hemispheres, it's really a tiny, tiny proportion of what's actually going on in your brain in terms of hormone regulation and and um, situational awareness and knowing how to regulate yourself and understanding whether you're in a safe environment or a scary environment. There's so many things going on that if we were to have to consciously control every single thing, um, I think it was Alan Watts said in one of his lectures, uh, we wouldn't be able to get out of bed because <laughs> we would be turning on all of the systems uh, consciously. So there's so much wisdom and intelligence that exists in your body that that is outside of the brain. I mean, just very recently there's been a whole bunch of research made public. I think this research and knowing has been around for ages, for decades, but just the um, the intelligence of the gut and how um, rich in you know nerves and neurons that area actually is neurons I'm not sure if that's the right word but um, yeah the, the the density of nerves that exist in um, your gut um, and also your heart there are you know research institutes out there that look at heart intelligence almost as if it's a second brain so it's really important to a know that there are other sources of thinking um, even though we associate thinking as we know it to our brains across your body and that that it's really worthwhile you thinking about how you might incorporate that into your practice you know into how you solve a problem Uh, it doesn't need to be related to human-centered design Uh, often the more challenging situations are just to do with you know interpersonal relationships so personal and uh, professional Uh, Our subconscious minds should get more credit than they do. All your reading, research and the time you spend observing isn't just feeding your neocortex. Your subconscious is also being exposed to the same input, storing information and turning it into knowledge. Relying purely on your higher cortical function for sense-making employs only a small proportion of the many ways in which you process information. You need to give your subconscious time to absorb meaning so that you can connect with it and act on it. 
This requires you to step away and occupy your conscious mind with something unrelated. When seeking insight, you must learn to rely on your intuition. You need to have faith in it and trust that it is informed by your work and it is a valuable and useful repository of knowledge. You also need to build techniques and tools to allow yourself to connect with your intuition, really listen to it and make sense of what it is saying. Often your intuition speaks to you in feelings, not words. Sometimes metaphors which might not have explicit meaning in a specific context come to mind. Your brain needs to do the translation. It's like trying to explain a gut feeling. Learn to have faith in this process and your process will be unique. Um, It takes practice to learn how to work with your intuition because the the language part of your brain does exist in the neocortical regions of your brain and is a um, newer function that's developed and your feelings and intuition exist in the older parts of your brain. So um, it's not easy to go from, you know, a, literally a feeling in your stomach or an emotion that's coming up and to put cohesive words around it, let alone in the context of your work or the current situation that you're in. So all of that takes practice um, and absolutely worthwhile doing, which I guess is what I'm getting to. There's a quote on this page, page 22, by Jill Bolte-Taylor. Now, if you haven't watched her TED Talk called A Stroke of Insight, uh, please, please, please do. I'll put it as a link in the in the show notes for you. But uh as yet a, a neuroscientist being able to witness herself having a stroke and then reporting out on that. Can you imagine? Anyway, that's what the TED talks about. So this is a, a quote that she's famous for saying, um, we live in a world where we are taught from the start that we are thinking creatures that feel. The truth is we are feeling creatures that think. Now, obviously, I love that because I'm biased towards that sort of thing. But um, yeah, that is obviously a realization that she's had um, through going the experience of having a stroke and uh, literally witnessing her brain shut down um, and the functions associated with those regions become no longer available to her progressively. So uh, yeah, worth a watch. Okay, exercise 1.6, page 24, working with your subconscious. When you work, all parts of your consciousness are at work. Learning to tap into and trust your intuition effectively helps you gain deeper insight. Stepping back to connect with your subconscious helps you make sense of what you're observing. The more you give your subconscious to work with, the more it will give back. So the first thing is repetition. Your subconscious mind thrives on repetition. Many of your habits are essentially run by your subconscious. Using repetition to deliberately feed your subconscious brain is an important practice. It ensures you're using more than just your conscious brain to do the work. The nature of design is that it involves a lot of iteration and repetition, but it is important to do this intentionally. Deliberately explore how your insights fit together. Draw framework after framework. Try different orientations, different groupings, different meanings, and get your thoughts out of your head and onto paper as often as you can. Prototype your ideas and your insights. The more you do this, the more you'll be able to leverage your subconscious. Talk to yourself. You do it already. We all do. 
This step is really just making something that you already do more deliberate. For example, when someone asks you what you discovered in your field work, ask yourself, what was it that I found interesting in the last session? The answer will come. It might be a series of images in the form of memories, or you might feel emotions or hear sounds. This is your subconscious answering you. You can also do this with your work. Ask yourself, what am I missing? And actually wait for a response. Notice what comes back. Or ask yourself if that new insight is actually important and listen to the response. The most important thing is to trust this subconscious dialogue. It's your intuition trying to talk to you. I think the most important thing about this section, the the talk to yourself section uh, in this exercise is the pause. The pause between the reflective question that you ask yourself and actually allowing some space for you to notice if if something shifts within your body um, we're so quick to move on to the next thing that sometimes we don't give the, the more insightful processes that we actually have access to to be able to emerge and talk to us so that would be the the one takeaway out of that thing which is to to allow time to pause And the last one on this page, keep an instinct journal. As you are working through your project, keep an instinct journal. This is where at the end of each day, you sit with your intuition and have a chat. Write down what your gut is telling you about the work you did that day or where your work is heading. Make sure you don't form an attachment to these points that you write down. The purpose of this exercise is to form a practice to close off the day and also to become fluent in communicating with your intuition. It's not an opportunity to guess at an answer because then you become vulnerable to confirmation bias. Seeking evidence for something that you've already decided is the answer. This is the most important tool to help you connect with your intuition about your work. It can also be interesting to read it back when your project is finished. So not everyone loves a journal. And I've worked with lots of people in a coaching um, context and it's one of the first things that I often set them up with is some form of a reflective practice because uh, self-awareness is the vehicle through which we can develop ourselves. And one of the really good ways of uh, practicing self-awareness is to keep some form of a reflective journal where you're reflecting on how you were that day, what you felt, what worked, what didn't work, that sort of thing. The thing that I really like about this approach, and I've done this on many projects, and I have to say it doesn't happen every day and it doesn't it doesn't make sense to do it at different stages of the project, but especially when you're in a research phase and you're in the sense-making phase where you've collected all your data and you're doing some analysis and then you're moving into synthesis, it's really important to be asking yourself, not necessarily what am I seeing that interests me, but what am I missing and what's actually important here? And if I were to think about it from you know, the, the people that we're ultimately in service of, what's really resonant for them? This is where, you know, this whole section that we're talking about in terms of beliefs and biases is all about trying to get out of your own way so that you can see the reality in in its purest form um, so that you can 
design something into that context as authentically as possible. And these sorts of instinct journals and reflective practices are really critical to be able to establish that sort of um, expertise within your within yourself. And obviously, to develop yourself as a leader, it, it, the, the same um, argument holds, I think. Okay, page 26. Connect with personal meaning. We do our best creating when we know why we are creating in the first place. What do we intend to do with the energy we are expending into developing this idea? How is this aligned with our inner purpose? Seeking meaning in the work we do connects us with a sense of living a worthwhile life beyond the immediate deliverables of the project. Knowing why you are doing the work and who your work is ultimately in service of helps connect you with the meaning. This meaning will provide the direction and intention of your creation as it becomes manifest in the physical world. It acts like a compass. You can come back to it again and again to make sure that you are creating with a clear purpose. Without this, it's easy to lose your way and then just stop. Connecting with meaning is your protection against such a fate. Um, I've worked with people who don't buy into uh, the higher purpose stuff. They, uh, their perspective is that they are completely emergent and present and happy to uh, focus on the thing that they're focusing on at the moment and not everything that they do has to be connected to this, you know, overarching uh, reason for being. I completely understand and, and respect that and often wonder which side of the fence I sit on sometimes <laughs> myself. The, the underlying message here, I think, is that it's really important to connect with something bigger than ourselves when we're doing this type of work, whether that is your enduring purpose or whether that is the um, ultimate outcome of the work that you're doing that's in front of you right now. Um, pondering that and thinking about what that might be is a really important ingredient that's going to help guide um, your energy, guide your focus, guide your sense making. Um, I think that's the the main crux of this. It's not necessarily trying to say that every single person on this planet needs to have a higher purpose and be working within that. <laughs> um, I think we're all wired differently and we make meaning differently. Remain relevant. Sense making can get tricky especially at the early stages of your work because everything is still so abstract. The first inkling of an idea is formless and nebulous and it's easy to get lost in your own thoughts. It's important to ensure you continue to work within the context that was set at the beginning of the project. This doesn't mean you should focus purely on the objective you have set out to achieve. It means you need to maintain your sense of direction if you can maintain a connection to your context, you will find things and learn from them as you go. You will probably need to change your understanding of the outcome as new insights emerge. It's okay to let new knowledge change the game. That's the power of human-centered design. Never lose track of where you are heading. Looking aimlessly for insights is a treacherous path. Insights can be found everywhere about anything. Your role is to ensure you are uncovering insights that are relevant to the emergent set of questions that are the keys to the outcomes you have set out to achieve. Foster your curiosity. Without curiosity, we don't ask questions. 
Without questions, we don't uncover new knowledge and arrive at new insights. Curiosity is the key that drives you to keep looking, keep digging, and keep deepening your understanding. There is a subtlety to this curiosity. It is one of meaningful inquiry. It seeks to gain empathy about the human context you are trying to understand. It's not about objectively reporting your findings. It's driven by something deeper, a part of you that is willing to feel what others are feeling. Curiosity is the energy that fuels activity and leads your gaze to unexplored territory. The objective of building empathy requires you to be careful and respectful of the people under inquiry and observation. This curiosity also puts you in a learning mindset, so you are less likely to be protective of an idea or a design which is under review or testing. Seeking to learn more helps you connect with your beginner's mind, which also helps you ensure you don't have too many beliefs and biases getting in the way. The good news is that we were all children, and children are great at being curious and learning about the world through a process of discovery and exploration. You already know how to do it. As we become adults, we favour certainty and security and become less enthusiastic about stepping into the unknown. But if you're passionate about doing meaningful work as a human-centred designer, this is, the, this is precisely what you need to do. Make yourself a collector of life experiences and be guided by your own values, principles and passions. The more you experience, the more you will be able to draw on these experiences when you are making sense of how other people live. A narrow set of experiences makes it more difficult to get to the truth of other people's realities. And I will leave you with another quote from Albert Einstein, which is on page 27 which says, I have no special talents. I am only passionately curious. It's hard to believe, really. Um, okay, let's leave it there. And um, I look forward to reading the next little bit. We're starting on page 29, exercise 1.7, asking the right questions. Um, thank you very much for listening. I uh, hope the added stories and um, little tips and tricks along the way are helping bring the, the content to life and uh, I look forward to sharing this time with you again soon. Bye.